We'd run one verse, the last verse of James chapter 1 in the New Testament. Hebrews, uh, James, 1 Peter. That's the sort of area we're in if you want to look that up. James chapter 1. It's on the screen as well if you prefer uh, to use that. This is the third of our big questions uh, evenings. Uh, we, we have them on the first Sunday of the month in the evening. We've looked at, is there anybody out there? Uh, we've looked at, how can we make sense of our suffering? That was last month. And tonight we're looking at the topic, is Christianity the problem? And I want to read, first of all, from James 1, verse 27. And it says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's also read from uh, the first page of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Might be the second page, but it's certainly near there. Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 27 and 28. And this is what God says, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And we'll end our reading there at verse 28. The standard story of the history of the world uh, is told like this in the West where we live today. Uh, pagan Rome collapses. Uh, the dark ages of religious superstition uh, are dark. Uh, then during the Enlightenment, uh, human reason triumphs. Uh, humanity then enters that upward progress of scientific discovery without those shackles of faith anymore. And now human virtue without God or any consideration of God can achieve human rights, uh, freedom and progress. And the possibilities are endless. That's the story of the world as we're told in the West today. Christianity is not presented as, as a positive, far from it, and perhaps it's maybe easy to see why. Newspaper columnist Robert uh, Kuttner uh, summarizes three big uh, blots on our copybook. He says this, the Crusades slaughtered millions in the name of Jesus. The Inquisition brought the torture and murder of millions more. After Martin Luther, Christians did bloody battle with other Christians for another three centuries. Shouldn't we as Christians just feel defensive and embarrassed and find a way to sort of keep our head down and be quiet and let everyone else get on with it? And maybe we aren't alone. I mean, think about religion in general. Wouldn't the world be better rid of the stuff full stop? In The God Delusion, uh, Richard Dawkins' uh, famous book, uh, he blames most of the world's recent conflicts uh, in the Middle East, uh, in the Balkans, uh, in Northern Ireland, in Kashmir, and in Sri Lanka on religious impulse and fervency. He says elsewhere that faith uh, is one of the world's great evils, comparable to the smallpox virus, but harder to eradicate. 
And yes, uh, many will reel against the, the conduct of Christians in the Crusades, and I won't try to, to defend that. Too many died for false th- theology and thinking they were doing God's work when they weren't, uh, trying to recover the Holy Land. But, they were, but there was far worse to come in the world. And yes, the Spanish Inquisition in the 15th century was Roman Catholic at its core, so we, we probably don't have too much trouble pointing the finger, but it, it, it killed approximately 10,000 and maybe 80 or 90,000 more died from malnutrition in prison. But there was worse to come in the world. For if you're going to give, if you're going with the religion is the cause idea for all this trouble, if you're going to be fair, then you're going to have to ask how many self-professed atheists have killed in one century alone, namely the 20th century, the one that most of us were born in. Because in the name of creating their version of a religion-free utopia, Adolf Hitler, uh, Joseph Stalin uh, in, in Russia, and Mao Zedong in China produced a kind of mass slaughter that makes the Crusades and the Spanish Inquisition seem minor and indeed Insignificant by comparison. As wrong as they were. Because collectively, these atheist tyrants murdered more than 100 million people. The three of them. Also ask yourself if the recent wars mentioned by Dawkins were really religious wars. Yes, um, it was... And is the Protestants against the Catholics here in Northern Ireland? But were the Northern Ireland troubles really about the Christian religion? Ask yourself if the most zealous in the fight were the most Protestant and most Catholic in zeal and practice? Hardly. It was surely more about political identity and land and ethnicity than religion. Similar story in the Balkans in the early 90s. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which, which rumbles on, I mean, at its core is deemed to be a religious one, right? Because it, it arises out of that dispute over the land, the self-determination, Hamas and the orthodox Israeli parties make the, the, the theological claim, God gave us this land, it's ours. But it's arguable, at the very least, is it not, that the, the conflict would remain essentially the same without any religious motive. It's our land, Yes, the media and the education system may be hostile to Christianity. They may have a narrative that puts us on the back foot and often too embarrassed to speak at all with our label on shoe. But perhaps it's not so clear cut. Now let me say that yes, in the past injustices have been carried out wrongly in the name of Christ. Yes, that's right. And also that we do not have a monopoly on virtue and doing good as Christians. But what I want to say to you tonight is that Christianity has brought a whole lot of good to our world and a whole lot more good than it's given credit for. Good things like science. You say, come on, science and Christianity are at odds. You couldn't possibly be taught. Rodney Stark in his book, Victory of Reason, says this. The success of the West, including the rise of science, rested entirely on religious foundations and the people who brought it about were devout Christians. Why so? Well, 
Christians, of course, believe that God is a rational being and that he has made us in his own image as rational beings. We believe that he's placed humans in an ordered world where things happen the same way if you do them once, twice, or a thousand times. If I thump my fist on, a, on the wooden pulpit uh, ten times, the same thing happens. You hear a noise. It's, a, it's the order of the universe. It's the order of the world. And these are the very foundations of the scientific method. And the first scientist held to these truths. For, of course, you aren't going to try to measure and observe and repeat anything in a fluid, irrational world. No, no one with such a view of our world would ever have bothered with science. If it's all magic and mystery, and well, you just aren't going to bother. But if you believe that it's ordered, if you believe that we are, we are being tasked by God to, to manage earth's resources and to develop them by, with our God-given gifts and, and abilities and, 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 and reason that he's given us, then, then the world's your oyster. Go and discover Find out what there is to find out. Dig out what there is to dig out. Make machines from what you discover. Make life easier for those who find it difficult. Science requires the Christian worldview, and it still does today. Whether you like it or not, progress and technology and science and medicine today are all indebted to this view of the world. All those amazing discoveries. The cure for smallpox, penicillin, artificial limbs, superfast communication, electricity, the combustion engine, rockets to Mars. But it's not just science. There are many things to be said about how we relate to each other and how we treat each other in the world. Our humanity, or lack of it, that we have Christians to consider in. Because the knowledge that all men, women, boys and girls are made in God's image that Christians have from that first chapter of the Bible that we read in Genesis 1 makes a big difference and has made a big difference in the history of our world. Let me mention four of them. First of all, freedom. You would agree with me wholeheartedly tonight that liberty and justice and freedom are important. Because you would rather live in Northern Ireland somewhere close to Dundonald, than under an oppressive regime of King Jong-un in North Korea or Salman bin Abdulaziz, king of Saudi Arabia, where you can't speak against the authorities, where opposition is crushed and crushed hard, where personal freedom is severely curtailed, and they can only imagine what democracy is like. It has its problems, but it's still much better than that. And many people assume that such civil liberties are products of, of secular thinking. That they're, they're Western and so they're part of the pre present Western mindset and democracy. But it's not that Western freedoms come from current Western freedom from religion and all its associated rules and limitations. Throw off the shackles, live and let live. That, that's not the truth. As opposed to all those Islamic countries, you know, where religion makes them, them oppressive to the people and that sort of thing. Because, well, freedom from religion isn't so nice in atheistic North Korea, is it? It's not really about throwing off the shackles of religion. They're far from it. Now, this needs a rethink. And an understanding 
that there is something special about those who follow the Bible's teaching and those who have followed the Bible's teaching down the centuries. In 2016, Cambridge University produced this big volume entitled Christianity and Freedom, summarizing the findings of a team of international scholars. And this is what they discovered. Listen to this. Free institutions hardly ever developed in places that were not influenced by Jewish and Christian ideas. Outside the Judeo-Christian tradition, it has been rare for thinkers to suppose that God endowed us with a nature of our own, that freedom is part of that nature. Where did we get freedom from? Christianity. For the very idea of human rights comes from page one of the Bible. Genesis 1. It comes from the idea that men and women are made in God's image and that affords them equal dignity and equal dignity to every single individual on the planet. Yes, some non-Christian religions and systems are outright oppressive to people, but not so biblical Christianity followed as God intended. And that is what has shaped the Western world. And we must say that the lesson of history is that those who followed an atheistic or, or a hard secular philosophy were actually those who demonstrated the least regard for human rights. Because when there's no God, well, the state frequently became God and the consequences are usually horrific and often resulted in slaughter by the hand of, of the government of its own people. That's what happened. Marxism has been by far the bloodiest of all and has killed an estimated 110 million between 1917 and 1987, a mere 70 years. Man-made famines, forced labor, genocides, deadly purges of intellectuals, all that went on. That's the same number as World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War combined and multiplied by three. And here today we see it on the rise again. If you can look in the right place, you can see it. Shouldn't we be concerned? Of course. It's an oppressive system with a horrendous record. Marxism. Christianity is not the problem, but the root of the very good that we enjoy. In freedom. In human rights. Even if there are few who give it credit. Freedom, but secondly, also notice slavery. Let's talk about that. This is closely linked, of course, to freedom. Uh, the, the ultimate sense of freedomlessness is, is slavery. But it was the MP William Wilberforce who spearheaded the fight to get slavery banned on the statute books of this country back in the 1830s. He was a committed Christian. He knew the dignity of all human beings because he read Genesis chapter 1. He knew that the, uh, the African slave was not uh, less than anyone else or not a commodity or not anyone else's property because he knew Genesis chapter 1. So he fought hard to reverse the moral compass of the nation on this and he succeeded. And so uh, when we see the rise of, of modern day slavery today, people trafficking and prostitution, and pornography, and only friends, and such like, we recognize that it's wrong and oppressive to both buyers and sellers, for we are made in God's image for better things. Slavery. Closely related to this is women's rights. Some people think that Christianity is hard on women. They aren't allowed to be elders or leaders. They're just left to make the tea and be submissive. That's the kind of idea in the street, isn't it? But it's far from the truth. 
Because the Bible on its pages again and again gives dignity to women when they were in those days very much second-class citizens. Think about Ruth, named in the lineage of David and by implication of Jesus. Think about Deborah and her role in the book of Judges or Esther in saving her own Jewish people. Think about the first person to see the empty tomb. It was Mary Magdalene. And when it came to the promotion of women's rights, it was Christians who were at the head of culture-busting change. Because at the time of the New Testament was written, fathers routinely gave their daughters as child brides. Men could force their wives to have abortions. There was no expectation that men would be faithful, none at all. And mistresses were common, and slaves were available for whatever the master wanted. So when Paul, the apostle, in uh, 1 Corinthians, writes and, and calls for a single standard of morality for men and women, well, that's a big change. When he commands Christian husbands to love and care for their wives in Ephesians chapter 5, it's a whole revolution in thinking, because no one did that. You think we licked it from the grass, my grandmother would say? No, what we hold dear today in the West came from Christianity. It was a sexual ethic of the Bible that improved women's rights and has improved them right down the centuries. Today there are stories of communities in India where the caste system once held sway, but now with the turn of many to the Christian faith, women have been transformed from hopelessness and husbands that drunk away their money to newfound dignity and value and confidence to resist and to speak out against abuse. The Bible and Christianity improves women's rights. Absolutely. What about children's protection? It was uh, the pagan Roman world uh, in which the exposure uh, of children was commonplace. Think about that uh, horrible children's story uh, of Hansel and Gretel, uh, where uh, they are led by their evil stepmother into the woods and left there. How's that children's story? I can never get my head around that. You'll get something of the idea. Because that's what happened. It was the Christians who said it was wrong to expose children like that and to care for the unwanted children and often the girls, as it turned out to be. Think of why Christians are so against abortion today. Not exclusively, of course, but many pro-lifers are indeed Christians. And that's no surprise. Because we believe that life is precious. We believe that every life is precious. And that, it begins at conception, no matter if convenience says otherwise. The protection of children. That's not to mention health care, where historically nurses worldwide have been pioneered. Nursing worldwide has been pioneered by Christian voluntary efforts, where worldwide today Christian missionaries are leading the way and providing medical clinics and blood banks and, and, and rehabilitation centers where there isn't any. Think about education for all. Universities came out of Christian monasteries in Western Europe in the 1200s. And all that came out of the biblical premise that it's an ordered creation and knowledge of it is possible. As for schools, I must tell you something when I inform you that for many centuries, teaching children was seen as the job of the church. So important was were Christians in its early days. The oldest school in Britain still running is called King's School in Canterbury. It was set up in 597 by a leading Christian. Think about giving to charity. Think about the dignity of work. 
All part of the transforming impact of Christians in the world. In fact, our entire Western values and system is not as a result of us throwing off the shackles of religion, but rather is indebted to Christianity at its very core. Christianity and the message of Jesus is not at odds with the values and underpinning of our society as we're told, but is actually the very reason for most of them. The narrative is wrong, in other words. It's those who believed in an ordered creation that went out and discovered and experimented and created technology that has improved the lives of millions and millions of people. You can now grow crops. You can now stay warm. You can now find employment to provide for their families. You can now travel from A to B. It's those who believed in the value of human life from page one of your Bible who are the bringers of such good in our world who promoted freedom from oppression, protected women and children, and were at the head of the abolition of slavery. Christians have had a transformative effect on the world, a positive transformative effect. Of course, ultimately, ultimately the good that we bring to our world will deal more than the matter of economics and personal freedom and protection of the vulnerable. Because ultimately, we speak of good news that deals with matters that have significance beyond this life and beyond the grave. For, of course, you could be socially very free. You could be free to speak. You could be financially free. You could be free to go to school. You could be free to vote. You could be free to be a woman. You could be free to be a child. All these things are good, but, but they are all things that you could have and still be eternally bankrupt, the Bible teaches still be enslaved, the Bible teaches, to something worse. You could have them all and have them plenty, but, but that would do nothing to fill that eternal gap that you have inside you. If Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says that God has not only made you in his image, but has put eternity into your heart. The need of him, in other words, in your heart. You have an unmet need to be right with God, your creator. And that is the biggest good of all that Christians are involved in in our world because it's the message that Jesus taught us. Christians have done much good to help those who suffer in this world, as I've explained to you tonight. But John Piper said this at the Lausanne Missions Conference in 2010. Very famous speech, she said. Christians care about all suffering especially eternal suffering. I hope we can all say that, he he said, but if we feel resistant to saying, especially eternal suffering, or if we feel resistant to saying we care about all suffering in this age, then either we have a defective view of hell or a defective heart. Especially eternal suffering. Of course, for you to understand this positive news, for the people of the world and for all of us, you need to understand some bad news. And that is that we live in a broken world. That's that we live in a world broken by sin. We live in a world where we're in fact part of the problem. We're sinners too. We're, we're enslaved to sin no less. And we will suffer forever the consequences of that in a place called hell unless something is done about it. Listen to Romans 6 verse 20 and onwards. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. 
What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're slaves. But in Christ Jesus we can be free. In Christ Jesus we can live not to unrighteousness but to holiness. Because on the cross at Easter Jesus died. He he died in our place. He died for our disobedience, our disinterest, our stubbornness, our wickedness. And by placing our trust in him, by committing ourselves to him and his gospel and his instructions, we can have our sins covered. We can have our release from the slavery of sin. We can know not the source of the world's problems, but its solution. Its only solution. And his name is at the heart of Christianity. It's Christ. Jesus Christ. We can know the the best good on offer from Christianity. As we wrap up tonight, yes, we we recognize and, and grieve the times when the institutional church, supposedly in the name of Christ, engaged in religious persecution and intolerance and such things. But real living Christianity, as shown by the many who knew the Lord Jesus and knew him fully, has changed the world for the better time and time again down through the centuries. O2 uh, is a mobile phone network. Maybe your phone is uh, on the O2 network. Uh, Tesco Mobile are not a mobile phone network, but perhaps you are a customer of Tesco Mobile. They appear to be a network, and if you have a phone contract with them, it'll probably say Tesco Mobile on your phone when you turn it on. It'll come up when you have signal. But Tesco Mobile are simply what is known as a piggyback company of O2. In other words, they don't have any telephone masts. They don't have any equipment like O2. They simply use O2's system as their own. Much of what you hold dear uh, today, freedoms and the rights of women and children, education, science, is actually piggybacked off the Christian worldview. In other words, it's using it, but not giving it any credit. It came off those who who followed the teaching of, of the Bible, even though no one wants to give that credit. What I want to say to you tonight in closing is that you too can be part of the people of Christ who are sent out to change the world, to make it better, part of his army, to make it in some sense better, but in that big sense of of, of the gospel, so much better, incredibly so, in that work of grace, in that gospel that brings us from darkness into light and means that we are forgiven of our sins. And as we work in the world, as we care for the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized, as we uphold the rights of women and children, as we recognize and call out dangerous and oppressive systems of belief, as we most importantly tell others that they too can be part of the, of, of the image bearers of God who know Jesus and are being made like Jesus who are in a right relationship with him now 
who've had their sins paid for and are free in the true sense of freedom. Well, that can happen to you. That can be your story because the offer is, is still open. And Christianity has changed the world, but it can change your world as well. And I urge you to consider the Christ of Christianity tonight in all that he can do and all that he would do in your life. Let's pray together as the musicians join me.